it's surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps to get the best and highest quality running gear at your disposal. You just go to mercurymile.com, enter your sizes and preferences, and they'll send you out a curated box of running goodies right to your home. You keep what you love. You send back what you don't. Also, when you're on the website, Getting involved with their mailing list is really good because they give you heads up on sales that happen periodically throughout the year. I know this because I'm on mailing list and today I got a promotional email about sales they're doing. So go to the website, get your gear, get on the mailing list so you can get more at a steep, not I shouldn't say a steep discount, at a great price. You'll get the best gear and I can't say enough good things about this service. So go to mercurymile.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout. Today's episode is with Haley Carruthers. I can honestly tell you this is one of my favorite episodes. She was and is fantastic. So she has been a high-level runner in Great Britain for about a year now, and you'll hear exactly what her running background is. Spoiler alert, it isn't very long, which is remarkable. She came to a lot of people's attention this past year at the London Marathon, 2019 London Marathon, when she stumbled right before the finish line. Uh, she kind of wobbled and she fell right to the ground. Um, it was a, a remarkable display of toughness. She ended up sticking her her chipped foot, her, uh, her foot across the line, which had the chip on it, to get the 233 mark uh, for the marathon, which obviously is a remarkable time. And it was one of those moments where you know a lot of people watched the London Marathon um, live, and it was just it was just so filled with drama. And also, shoot, you want to make sure that she's healthy because this was you know it was scary as well. So it was a lot of great, lot of toughness, and it was a scary moment. But as uh, intriguing as that aspect of her life is, there's so much more to Haley than just the end of the 2019 London Marathon. And that's where we spend the vast majority of this conversation is talking about her remarkable life, her amazing running background. And then at the end, of course, we touch on London, but we want to kind of provide the context first because she really is a remarkable person. So lastly, we had a very strict timeline with this episode, so I didn't get to ask a question that I really wanted to ask, but she was nice enough to record uh, a, a, an answer for us, and um, it's kind of tacked on to the end of this interview. I wanted to talk to her just about her weight training regimen and what some of the things that she, she considers and does for strength training. She posts about it quite often on her Instagram, Miles with Haley, and uh, I wanted to touch on that because I know a couple a couple listeners were, were intrigued by that as well. So she was uh, really nice and generous enough to send that audio along. So at the end of the interview, you'll hear her talk for about three or four minutes about her strength training, strength training routine, pardon me, and exactly the thought process behind it. So here is my interview with Haley Carruthers. Hello, Haley, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, it's my pleasure, Haley. I've, you know, I've been following you for a while. I've wanted to have you on, and I, I couldn't be more grateful for you to do it. You're actually fitting us into your lunch break. So it's, it's the early morning here on, in the States. It's your lunch break. So before we get into the running stuff, which I can't wait to get into, what exactly is the full-time job that you have right now? Yeah, so um, I currently work uh, full-time in the hospital as a research radiographer. Uh, with cancer patients every day so it can be quite mentally draining um but I say I, I really really enjoy the job and it always makes it worth it so so what exactly does a research radiographer do uh so what we do is uh, we recruit patients into trials to help um give them the best care possible to kind of research further treatments um, new techniques that we can help improve their lives within the future um so this these can span from um children as young as 18 months old um, to older patients in their in their 90s so the array of patients is massive and um, it's every day is different and it's really really enjoyable so what what prompted you to go into this field um, so when I was younger um, both of my parents they were diagnosed with cancer so it kind of opened my eyes to the world of um, how important research is and the newest techniques, the novel techniques that we are coming to um, in this day and age. And um, it really, really interested me. And I think because if I wasn't directly affected by it, it probably would have been quite an unknown world to myself. Um, but seeing my parents come through, both having quite new techniques, I thought I really want to be a part of that. And I want to be able to change people's lives the way that the research team and the radiographers had changed my life and basically given my parents uh, a new chance and Luckily, they've both got their five-year clear now, so it's something definitely worked. <laughs> That's for sure. So were you aware of this position when you first, you know, first thought about helping people who were in a similar, you know, similar spot that your parents were in regarding cancer? Or did you kind of, as you went through your studies, did this just become apparent like later on in life? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I, I kind of wasn't really aware of the, the role of a research radiographer. So I... Um, went to university to study radiotherapy and oncology. Um, and then I worked actually directly treating cancer patients for a couple of years and then specialised in the research side of it as it was more of an interest to me to kind of work a lot closely with the patients. Um, so I built a much better relationship and um, found I had my own cohort of patients, which now allowed me to build better relationships and kind of really interact with cancer patients and really, really make a difference. So you're, you're working with a lot of people who are sick. Yeah. So as you approach them and your work and then transposing that against your own life, mm. what's, what's the mental back and forth between trying to focus on, you know, positivity and, and, and health versus negativity and sickness? Oh, absolutely. And they say that this, the two are so interchangeable as well. And it really puts everything into perspective by when things say, if I have a run that doesn't go well, I really think to myself, well, you know what? It's not the end of the world. I'm not injured. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I've got everything to look forward to a bright future. But then I see, I go into work sometimes and I see people where no, things are really difficult. And that is, that can be really, really hard. And but everyone has their own challenges. And I really like to go into work every day. Every day is a new day. And knowing that I can make a difference is really quite promising, really. And um, I like to kind of 
when on the days where I do mentally struggle, because some days they say they are harder to see some things that I do see, especially when some young children are really quite sick. But it does, like you say, it puts things into perspective and it drives me forward to say, you know what, I've got this chance, I've got this life and I'm healthy at the moment and you can't really see what's coming in the future. So embrace every day. Yeah, that is something that I can't, I can't put myself in your shoes at that mm. moment. So, so I'm, a, I'm a fundraiser. Uh, right now I work for, for colleges and universities, but a lot of fundraisers work for hospitals. Mm-hmm. And I've always, you know, so jobs have popped up in my own life. And I thought, you know, could I do that? Could I be in a hospital setting and seeing, you know, the similar things that you see? And I always wonder, and basically I always end up coming back to, no, I don't think I could do that. So <laughs> what allows you to confront those situations, you know, where, you know, like you mentioned, you see a kid who's sick, who's mm-hmm. facing potentially something that's terminal. Yeah. What, what allows you to face that with positivity without being bogged down in the what ifs and, you know, the negative spiral that can come. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think when I first went into starting the degree, that was first and foremost, a thing that I thought, will I manage? Will I be able to switch off from the day? Um, How will I cope? And very selfishly, that was what I thought. But then now looking back, I think, well, you know what, if we weren't there helping them, then who would? So I kind of think if I can help and then, it's kind of, it really, really does make me feel a lot better knowing that I can make a difference. But it's also learning to be able to switch off from it and learning to, you know, you're there to help them. You're not, you want to be their rock. You want to be something solid in their life where they go for comfort and support as opposed to, say, if you turned up into clinic and you were crying because they'd just been given a terminal diagnosis, it's it's completely selfish. You need to be strong for those children, for those patients where they've just been given a diagnosis that's potentially going to change their life. And it's, it's really, really, I say I do enjoy it, but I think the way you can also relate that to running is being able to switch off from reality and just accepting what you are at that moment, what you can give to someone, what you can bring to yourself and just how every day is different and we can make our day however we choose to make it and it's say it is quite difficult but like you say it's over years of practice now I've been able to just switch myself off and just think I've got to be strong for them I can't show my weakness if I do feel struggling and and same same with running really (laughs) you can just switch off (laughs) yeah and it sounds like your your good days are really really good and your yeah. bad days can be really, really tough. So yeah. when you have those bad days, you know, now that mm-hmm. you've had some time in the job and you're obviously a very introspective person, what are some of the things that you do when you go home that allows you to kind of move on to the next, you know, the next cycle of your day and not kind of carry the weight of what you just saw? Yeah, I say I think one of the most important things is knowing how you can disengage yourself and finding things that will make you smile that will bring positivity in your life and um it's taken me many years to kind of make sure that I don't dwell on things and I'm very reflective in day-to-day life so I'll I'll always um I've downloaded an app to basically have a look at things what made you smile today um what was what was positive about your day um what will you do tomorrow to improve on that and I think people neglect their own mental health so easily 
And I find even if I've not done that for a couple of days, I start to really dwell on things. And even in that day, you think, oh, I feel really good today. But those are the days where you should really reflect even more because it's trying to pull out those feelings and get rid of any negativity that you could take into the next day. And I think when you think, oh, I've had a bad day, it's was, was it really a bad day? Or was it just a bad 10 minutes that you let carry out for the rest of your day? And generally it is the latter. Um, so it's just, I say, you go into every day with open eyes and it's easier said than done, I must admit. Like I'm, I'm not perfect, but um, I'm certainly willing to learn and try and embrace the mental strength of things. And being able to switch off is a huge skill. And mindfulness is certainly a skill that needs practicing often. And if you do forget how to do that, it's it's quite difficult to kind of bring it back in. For sure. And, and you, one of the first things you mentioned was, you know, if you're having a bad day, you can look back and be like, well, look at my life. It's not too mm. bad compared to all these other people. And that is certainly a nice trick to use for, for reframing. But also mm. you feel the emotions you feel. So yeah. it's hard. You, that, I feel like that, that's because I've done that before, too. And I feel like sometimes it works. And then sometimes it gets me into like a negative cycle. Of yeah. like, I shouldn't feel this way. Now I'm beating myself up for feeling that way. And then like, and then around and around we go. Yeah, exactly. Oh no, I'm a big one for beating myself up for feeling down about something. And it's the same, we're all the same. We can, I could sit here till, till I'm blue in the face telling you, oh, I'm this huge positive person. I do all of this, this, that, and the other. And, but no, I, I do have really, really tough days. And some days I really do struggle to get up and get, get going and, um, some days you get to the end of the day and you think that really wasn't anything spectacular. I didn't, I didn't make much of a difference. I didn't have a good run. Everything was very bland. But then also there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, no, everything doesn't have to be amazing or everything doesn't have to be awful. It could just be okay. And it's also, it's just about accepting what things are at that given moment. And I think once you start to accept how things are, you become a lot more happy in that moment because you're not trying to be something else. You're just trying to be in that moment and, and that's okay. Yeah. That's a really enlightened point of view. And as you mentioned before, it's not, it's one of those things that can be easier said than done and probably mm. takes a lot of time, right? I mean, you yeah. must have people who are entering your profession who either you choose to mentor or, you know, it's, it's one of those things where they set you up with it, with a newbie and it's, I feel like that can be one of those things where you can hear that phrase, but you mm. almost have to like live the up is ups and downs before it can really be hammered home. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. See, it's, I generally tend to talk out loud to myself quite a lot <laughs> because it's almost like you have to convince yourself that is the way. Stop feeling like this. You, like no one deserves to feel down about it. Stop kicking yourself about it. And I say some days we do have really, really tough days at work and I, I do come home and I do have a cry about it. And I'm, I'm not afraid of that because crying is a natural feeling. It's a natural release and you generally do feel better after it. And But then I think, OK, that's enough. You've had you've had your 10 minutes now. Now we're getting up and we're getting over it. And it's the longer you dwell on something, you just kind of bring yourself down and I think the only person that can really help yourself is yourself. So. Yeah, there's, there's a lot there. Uh, and, you know, I really appreciate you saying that because that's a nice little middle ground. Like you feel how you feel, but you don't give yourself like an endless timeline 
mm. to experience, you know, those emotions or, or, um, you know, just, you know, to wallow in whatever happens to be affecting you. Yeah, absolutely. So in regards to your running, so you have obviously a job that has a lot that requires a lot of mental and emotional energy, even on the mm-hmm. good days, right? Yeah. You're talking about science and there's a lot of research <laughs> we're talking about here. So it's a demanding job in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. So how do you organize your running around your profession? Cause you're obviously doing it very well. So I want to, <laughs> I want to download what you're doing, Haley, because you're, you're running at a very high level and we'll get into the, we'll get into like the, the quick ramp up that you've done over the last three years. But I feel like I need, I need to know what you're doing here. Yeah, I say, well, one thing I've certainly accepted is I'm tired all the time. (laughs) Um, I think it's more whether I'm absolutely exhausted or I'm just a little bit tired. Um, But the main thing is with running and working full time, it's you really, really do need to listen to your body. And it's so hard to just kind of get carried away. And some days I really do think, oh, you know what, I do need a rest day here and I do tell my coach and he says, that's absolutely fine. We'll take a rest day today. Um, We'll cut out one of the runs tomorrow and just focus on recovery. And it's not the end of the world. And it's, we work really, really closely myself and my coach and we constantly feed back to each other throughout the days and the weeks. So I'll, I'll generally run twice a day, um, five o'clock in the morning before work and, uh, and then straight after work as well. Um, And then on couple of days a week I'll go straight to the gym after my second run so most of the times during the week I don't get home till nine o'clock ten o'clock on the night um literally eat my fourth meal of the day when I get in and then um get up again at five and off we go again and by not listening to your body you could get into such a routine of getting up going to bed eating running sleeping and that sort of thing you kind of forget and you neglect the recovery and I think sometimes people could say I remember reading a quote once there's no such thing as overtraining, only under resting and if you try and stick by that principle it almost does make sense obviously I do believe that say overtraining is possible um, but then it's also just making sure that you are recovering um, between each run even the easy runs um, the rest days um, I certainly do try and make sure that they are as slow as possible, as easy as possible to give myself the best chance of recovery. That is a great quote. I've never heard that before, but it, it rings <laughs> so true because I, yeah. I, I've, I've burnt out on 40 miles a week, mm-hmm. which again, that's not like a typical like burnout schedule, but it was because of what was balanced against it. Yeah, It was like, you know, not sleeping well, not eating well, mm-hmm. doing it for a very long period of time. And then all of a sudden you crash that's a great line, man. I don't know who said it, but I want it. Um, <laughs> I think so, I can't remember who it was. It was, I heard it on a podcast um, a couple of years ago and it's always stuck by me. And I just kind of think, well, another one is my, my favorite is you either run to get fitter or fresher. So it's kind of, well, it's one of those things you always kind of, you find what works for you and it's, yeah, I quite like those two. All right, so you're running. You're running normally two days, uh, two times per day. Yeah. Uh, before and after work. Um, so regarding, so say you're going through, say you're training for a race. So like mm-hmm. it's not, you know, not like after a, a goal race, and you have a kind of a down period where you're still working, you're still running, but you're not really focused on anything particular. Say yeah. you're, you're you're training for something. Mm-hmm. Where do you fit in 
your, say, your track workouts, you know, your, your hard workout sessions uh, during the week? Where does that fall in the schedule? Yeah, so um, we tend to go to the track on Tuesday, Tuesday evenings, um, and do like a, a longer endurance session with longer reps, um, or we'll do shorter reps at faster pace with a longer recovery. Um, then Thursdays, we'll either do um, a grass session and kind of uh, change the terrain, reduce injury risk, um, on or go on the roads, depending on um, how we, what we've got for the rest of the week. Um, if we do go on the roads on the Thursday, we'd then go on the grass for Saturday session. Um, but generally Saturday morning, we'll do park run tempo, uh, sort of threshold run. Um, and then Sundays, um, you can almost count the long run as a session, really, um, because I've got a lot to- longer time to recover. Um, so I can generally eat quicker and get the food in quicker after my runs um, eat better throughout the day because obviously at work if you get caught in a clinic um, your lunch gets delayed um, so it's constantly my, my desk at work is absolutely full of snacks <laughs> um, I just carry them around with me all the time in case I get that little bit peckish but being a marathon runner you spend your whole life starving hungry even just as soon as you've eaten so <laughs> oh goodness it's so true <laughs> for yeah. sure so so what is the thinking about doing these sessions after work versus before work? Um, I think because I have to be up so early, um, generally in the week, um, I have to, I'll be at work for half seven. Um, so once, if I did a session that early, I think for me, it probably wouldn't work because I'd spend the whole uh, day trying to get in the calories back. Because I found, we did trial and error. Um, so when I do a hard workout first thing in the morning, um, for some reason, my metabolism shoots through the roof. So I literally feel like I can't recover properly from it throughout the whole day. So we swapped it round and I found it worked a lot better um, because it doesn't spark my metabolism so much. So it doesn't mean that I spend the rest of the day absolutely starving, hungry, no matter how much. So it's, they say, trial and error. Some people prefer to do um, their training, hard training first thing in the morning, get up and get out of the way. But I also think that doing a track session on really tired legs from being on your feet all day also replicates the latter stages of uh, races, marathons, um, without even meaning to. So it's kind of, if that works better for me, but then also going into a session and my legs seem to always be tired. Um, but then once you taper down for a race, it's almost, whoa, this, fe- this feeling is quite strange. <laughs> I feel almost fresh. <laughs> yeah, man, you took the words out of my mouth regarding like the after work runs. I'm like yeah. for me, like, oh my goodness, those can be so tough because yeah, yeah. you're you're already fatigued, right? There's been yeah. so much literature put out there. Uh, Matt Fitzgerald's "How Bad Do You Want It" is a great resource. I know there's others oh, as yeah. well where they talk about that. They talk about like how you know, um, he basically it's just him like looking at research that's been done elsewhere. But looking at like how mental fatigue affects physical training, and there's obviously it's it's legitimate and it's serious. So again, you, you you're able to kind of hack the system a little bit because you really can use it in your favor as long as you're okay yeah. with like feeling not very good <laughs> during yeah, the workout. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's like I mentioned before. It's almost being that accepting of how you feel um, because if you think, "Oh, I feel awful. I'm going to run terribly," you generally do. It's kind of if you just say, "Oh." I feel my legs are tired today. Oh, well, oh, well, I'm going to gonna do the run anyway, but I'm going to do it on effort and the pace will be what it'll be because it's 
some days you physically you do have a bad training session and and there's nothing wrong with that you're only human but it's regardless of being a runner or not we all have good and bad days and I think when you do run at an elite level or any level really you do forget that in your whole life you do have good and bad days it just happens so that you ran on a bad day and it was just a bad run but then also you can learn so much more from a bad run than you can a good run so there's a positive in everything and and like you say, it takes quite a lot of practice to be so accepting of things. And some days I'm not. Some days I throw massive tantrums because I didn't hit a certain pace for a certain rep. And and then you wake up in the morning and you think, well, you know what? I'm still healthy. I'm still happy. And you know what? I've moved on. But at the time, it does feel like your world's crashing. I can't go any faster. I'm getting slower. I'm being rubbish. And <laughs> but that's just the way it is. And as, as you put it, it is great training for a marathon mm. because because you're really setting yourself up for feelings that you're going to feel on race day. And as opposed to say you're training for like the mile again, mm. I'm painting with a very broad brush here. Oh, but like God. I were to run like your <laughs> fastest mile. You need to be comfortable running at like, at a, like right on the cusp of anaerobic level and you need yeah. your, but your muscles need to be used to running a certain speed. And if you can't get there in practice, it's going to be hard to get there on race day. Mm-hmm. whereas as you put it like with the marathon it's just like almost being comfortable being uncomfortable is half yeah. the battle if not more yeah. yeah no exactly that it's kind of you just got to be accepting of feeling awful <laughs> and and that's and that's okay but the thing is in so for example if you got to mile 20 and felt great you'd kind of think well I probably should have pushed a little bit earlier because there's only 10k to go so it's kind of but do you want to feel brilliant through the whole of a marathon if you're trying to race at your best and it's kind of well I know I certainly wouldn't I wouldn't want to get to mile 23 and think oh gosh there's loads more in the tank because it's with marathons you can't just do another one in three days not racing it um flat out anyway if you were say just doing it to cover the distance then a lot of people do and but like for myself it's only you really get two shots a year so you really wouldn't want to just get there and think, oh, I could have done more. Yeah. In the moment, it's, it's okay to like rationalize it. But then after the fact, boy, that can really, the, the regret can hit you hard. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So you, you're, you sound so wise about all of this stuff because you are, <laughs> frankly, it's like you sound wise. You are wise about all of this stuff. And you come across as somebody who's been doing this forever. But that's just not true. I this is I was gobsmacked when I heard about the length of your tenure as a runner. So let's, let's so walk me back to the beginning of you know when you started running you know seriously. Yeah. So, well, before I started becoming like a serious, it's probably only been the last eighteen months to two years I started running um, at elite level. Um, but really, only the last year I think I really stepped up um, to classing myself almost as an elite runner now um but within the last three years so May 2016 was when I first ever ran um so obviously I'd, I'd ran like in in school just kind of sports day yeah <laughs> um and just did um the egg and spoon race we're all good at those um but- speak for yourself Haley. <laughs> I've, I've, I've ruined many an egg on those things <laughs> And um, but I was never I'd never say I was a runner or anything like that. And I say a lot of my friends, they've always said, oh, when we were kids, we used to go out running with our parents and and this, that. And I never did. It was never an interest of mine. 
and I remember in May 2016, one of my colleagues, um, she said that she went out for a 5K run. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a go, being the competitive person that I am. And I ran a mile and, oh, my God, I thought I was literally going to pass out. <laughs> but there was something so strange about it that it, I felt so free. It almost felt natural, but unnatural at the same time. And it almost annoyed me that I wasn't good at it. I thought, well, why can't I do it if she can do it? Like, we're we're just humans. That so She's better at this than me. And I just thought, well, I'll give it another go. So um, I obviously went out the next day thinking that I was going to be fine. And I tried again and kept going and kept going. And eventually um, it be- did become a little bit easier. My breathing started to settle a little bit. And um, so after maybe doing that for about six weeks i signed up for a, uh, a half marathon um <laughs> Jeez louise in for a yeah. dime in for a dollar <laughs> um so i kind of i didn't really i didn't really know much about five or 10k races i'd never really thought thought about that i thought oh if you're gonna do something go go the whole hog um i thought a marathon was a bit insane um so i just thought well i'll go for a half marathon and see how that goes but then I remember my parents said to me, um, are you sure you want to just go straight for a half marathon? Um, so I said, like, oh, OK, well, so I did sign up for a 10K then um, a couple of months before I did my first half marathon. And that was in the in August, I believe, 2016. Um, and I wanted to run 45 minutes. And my mum said, that's quite fast, you know. And I was like, I'll be OK. I'll be all right. Um, and then ran 43 minutes. And uh, I remember I came ninth woman and I was absolutely over the moon. And um, I I think I won um, a bottle of Prosecco and I don't even drink, but it was the best prize ever because I'd won a prize from running. And I just remember thinking, oh, this is really good. Let's sign up for another one. So I went into the half marathon and really, really enjoyed that. And I didn't even have a watch. So I I didn't know what time I was running or anything like that. I just ran purely on feel and just enjoyed myself. And um, crossed the line in one thirty-five, I think. Yeah. Um, so then, obviously, signed up for a marathon. <laughs> of course, of course. So uh, this this is remarkable. Like you know, not many people have kind of the linear progression. Uh, yeah. Regarding you know the, kind of their their progress, you know, race after race, and you know even zooming out year after year, which is you know obviously that doesn't last forever just exponentially like you're not going to run a marathon in one minute like you just can't always improve but it's it's one of those things where you know what what about your foundation your athletic foundation i should say that preceded may 2016 do you think enabled you to have such a quick start in running yeah i say well i certainly i certainly wasn't a lazy person um it was just like to say the fact that um, i just never really ran um, so when I was a child, um, I was reading um, a book, actually, uh, called Two Hours. I don't know if you've, you've heard of it. And um, it was basically saying um, how some of the Kenyan and Ethiopian athletes can build their fitness by um, they spent a lot of the time running bare feet as a child and climbing on things and just generally being outdoors. And once I was reading it and I, I said to my, you find this quite strange, I said to my mum and I remember thinking, that is literally, as a child, you wouldn't catch me in shoes. You wouldn't catch me lying down. I was always bouncing off things, jumping off things, climbing up things. I was always very 
energized and always wanted to do something and that spanned through like my whole life really and I remember my boyfriend saying we don't have to do something all the time and I said yeah but we need to get up get up what we're doing today like like some sort of Duracell bunny and (laughs) it was almost like when I found running it was like a part of my day that I thought that's what I'm meant to be doing that's why I always feel that I've got this bit of energy that needs to be spent it just felt like I was going to bed at the end of the day felt like I didn't quite get what I wanted to do today and and then once I'd say did start running it everything just kind of fell into place but yeah <laughs> see, see this is this is where like some of the the conversations around talent like come mm. off the rails it's like conversations yeah. like this because you know, when someone talks about talent, they immediately go to, you know, you know, the explosiveness of someone's muscles or their body yeah. composition and things along that nature, which, again, are perfectly valid scientific elements. Right. I mean, there's yeah. nothing there's nothing inherently wrong about that. But no. I think it's I think it's important to add to the conversation like this for you was like an inborn genetic talent to say, to put it, <laughs> to, put it to put it like I don't know if talent's the right word, but, you know, it's that same genre. Right. Like you've always had it. And I feel like there's people who I've talked to for this show or just people I've just gotten to know in my life who've had a similar ability. And so basically once they are able to put it towards an activity, whether it's running or something else, like they see this explosion because, again, they have this endless energy. and They're able to put it to something. And then like Mm. and then here we go. And I feel like you've also I've also been able to see it in so many biographies as well, like Mm. like Dave Scott who was like kind of the, the, the big, the first big triathlete was like mm. the same thing. Like they, his dad loves to recall the time where, you know, he was a deacon at their church and then Dave Scott would like, would just be sitting there like miserable, just, you know, finicky the whole time. And then finally he's like, can I go home? And that was his first run ever was running home from church. He ran like two miles straight home because <laughs> like he just ha- had that energy in him. Yeah. And it's like, it's so interesting. Like when you think about, again, you're, you're in the medical profession. Like when you think about talent, like has that, had that ever come up for you as in terms of like classifying it that way, this part of your, your genetic makeup? See, it's so strange because even like I sit there and think that it, I still think, oh, it's a fluke. I've just ran well. And it's really hard for me to believe that it has been such a short journey. And the fact that, say, so many other elite athletes have been doing it so, for 10 years. and But then you can kind of think, sometimes I sit, sit there and think, do I belong here? Um, do, do I deserve to be here? This whole imposter syndrome. Because it's kind of, I do, I, I feel like I have come out of nowhere. But it's almost like, but I've worked so hard as well in the last three years that I've just never given up. And I've just been so driven to want to be better but it's kind of, I think, being, uh, what's the word, quite competitive. That's, um, I've really, really enjoyed pushing myself and finding those limits. And I think now, um, because it's been such an upward curve, we've had a couple of days where they have been really, really tough. And I've kind of obviously wanted to retire and, you know, the drill. Um, but I don't want to. I want to build this whole life now that I've been given this opportunity because so many people go through their whole life where they never find something they're truly, truly good at and they truly love more than more than anything. And I feel so fortunate to be able to have found it. And I always think, what if I would have never ran 
I would have never been given this opportunity. So I'm going to grasp it with both hands and run with it. Excuse the pun. (laughs) No, it was well placed. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you've always had this huge engine for activity, no matter what the activity was, which allows you now, again, to run twice a day after work, you know, twice a day, including, you know, having a full-time job, I should say, Mm -hmm. which again, not everybody would be, you know, that for a lot of people, that's not something they could do for a long period of time, right? Mm. That might be a, a good short-term fix, but it might yeah. not be a good long-term strategy for them. Yeah. So when before you got into running and really you were able to channel this energy into this endeavor and, again, work really, really hard. And I don't mean <laughs> to minimize the work you put in because you are working incredibly hard. Before you did that, where was this energy going? Oh, I, I was just... I don't even know. It was so I went to the gym a few times a week and did a bit of weights. So I was say we did a bit of hit training, um, a bit of interval training at the gym. So lots of jumping around and and it was always it just felt like I was meant to be doing it. But then it was all if I missed a day at the gym, I wasn't really bothered. I just thought, oh, well, um, but I never really put two and two together. It never, re- I never really thought that, oh, that makes me feel better or that makes me feel that I've done something with my day that made me feel more like me or I just enjoyed being around the people. So I presumed it was just more the social element of it. But then I say when I started running, obviously endurance sports can be quite a lonely sport and we do come to accept that. But there was something about running that it was exhaustion like nothing else at the end of a long run, but it was kind of that pure endorphin rush. And it was, it was kind of, Oh, wow. That's, that's almost what I'm meant to be doing. Like something just fell into place, like the missing piece of a jigsaw. And still now we've probably seen on my Instagram, I tend to climb up things, hang off things. And my coach is like, Oh my gosh, get down. (laughs) And (laughs) I remember um, uh, just after the marathon, I went to uh, this activity center called Total Ninja. So you can imagine what that was like and was throwing myself off things, climbing up things, running up walls. And um, my coach said, please stop sending me photos. I said, I think I'm going to have a heart attack. But it's, that's me. Part of me is I've always had a childish, childish nature and I just love to have fun. And running for me is fun most of the time, I'd say, but then you've got to accept ups with downs as you can relate that to life as well. Everything that goes up must come down. Your journey is absolutely, obviously would be like the counterpoint to like the 10,000 hour rule argument of like start specializing early. The earlier you start specializing in something, the better you'll be. And this is the the roadmap to success because obviously that's not what happened with you. And shoot, you just ran a 233 marathon in London. (laughs) So obviously... You know, being, you know, being a high achiever in this endeavor, um, I mean, I'm sure you're looking to improve, but you're already there. You already are a high achiever, which is remarkable Mm -hmm. in its own right, which is even, which makes the next sentence that I'm about to say even crazier is that just two years ago, you ran your first marathon. It was a 322, which is obviously a wonderful time, but you're almost now, you've now gone 50 minutes below that only three marathons later. Yeah. So, so, so let's just take a look at that first marathon. Yeah. When you, you know, we don't need to like, you know, we don't need a race recap per se, but when you had finished that race, what mm-hmm. were some of the things that you were thinking about in terms of not only your short, short term, what was this experience like, but how did you frame it in terms of what you wanted to do in the future? 
also they certainly cemented my love for running and um so in that in that race I was in the mass start um that was also the last time I was in a mass start for a race (laughs) which is strange to believe um but it was just I finished it and I was so overwhelmed with emotions and it was kind of when I ran it it almost without sounding too uh, obnoxious but it didn't seem far it felt like I felt really good the whole way around and I felt like I was smiling laughing and I finished it and just kind of was almost gutted that it was over because it's almost like you build it up you build it up and then it's kind of oh we're done now and I really really enjoyed that when can we go again but it's kind of with a marathon you have to accept that you almost do need a whole week off to recover mentally and physically and for me, it was kind of, well, which one can I do next? So obviously, without a coach at that point, I went back to running too soon, got myself my first injury, touch wood, I won't get that again. And um, it was, I had to take six weeks off running. So I almost went back to square one, where I was thinking, oh, I've got all this energy, I've got, I don't know what to do with it. Um, what am I going to do now? I don't know when I'm going to get back to running. Um, I didn't know any runners, because I wasn't in this whole life that I've got now. And it was it was really scary because I thought, oh, well, I, I really want to run, but I don't know how to go about it now. So it was kind of I then reached out through through Instagram to try and find myself a coach. Um, and I, I did. And he gave me some good guidance at the time. And we then started to build from there. And I said I wanted to do another marathon uh, in 2018. Um, so then I did I did London the year after. So I took a full year between marathons that time. Um, and then I thought. I think I am a marathon runner. <laughs> yeah, or longer, Haley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you, it's not that you have to set, you know, put yourself in one category or the other. Um, yeah. You know, you're a long distance runner, I guess, a better way of putting it. But it's, uh, I guess, it's funny. Before we move on to the next thing, because this is just so fascinating to me, I skipped over something I wanted to ask you is that yeah. and it, it, the fact that you said you weren't really friendly with any runners. I think it reminds me of it is how does a little girl who's not running (laughs) pick up the the marathon book about breaking two hours? Like, how does that even fall into your hands? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll say um, I've only picked that up um, this probably in the last year now. And it was just, it's just been an absolutely crazy journey. And I remember um, thinking to myself, oh, for my second marathon, I really want to break three hours. And I say a couple of my followers on Instagram messaged and said, do you remember asking me, do you think that's possible? And um, I remember thinking, oh, it's only 23 minutes. I can take that off. Um, and then I thought, oh, actually, no, that's oh, like. Sub- only only a minute <laughs> yeah. a mile. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, oh, actually, no, that's like sub seven minute pace. I thought I've not even hit that for one mile. I was like, I don't think I could I could do that. But I thought, well, you know what? Other people have done it before. Like I'd started before. Why can't I? Uh, and it was almost well, just, just keep going, keep going at it and you'll see improvements and you might as well try. There's no harm in trying and no one ever, no one ever kids a trier. And, and then I ran 2.47. So for my second one. <laughs> Showed you three hour mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my God. All right. So that, obviously that's an enormous improvement. You know, you're talking about roughly 35 minutes of improvement and you hear you are continuing to improve um, at a remarkable rate. And 
Oh my goodness. It's, I hear these times, like, it, like, it like throws me off track because it, it still is just a remarkable situation. So one of the things you mentioned earlier, and I know it still persists, is that you don't run races with technology or you don't run with a watch. So, no. so what, what is your thinking behind that and how have you continued along that path of not wearing one? Yeah, so um, for me, I always think about my first ever race. I didn't even have a watch. And I remember running it for on feel and I really enjoyed it and um so my first 10k and half marathon I didn't have a watch my first marathon I did um as because I didn't want to start off too quickly or um I knew that I'd never ran the distance before so it was kind of unknown territory um so I almost held myself back uh until halfway and then I got to halfway thinking I actually feel brilliant and ran a four minute negative split for my first marathon um, so in that respect, it kind of helped me get to halfway quite comfortably. Um, but then since then, I've kind of noticed every time I've raced with a watch, um, I felt so anxious. And so if a split wasn't what it meant to be or what it felt like, I just kept thinking, oh, no, this is going wrong or I feel really good. It shouldn't feel like this. And I was judging myself during a race and it was exhausting my mind mentally, where in fact that. If you don't wear a watch and you run a race, you will inevitably get to a get from A to B as fast as you can. And that is the whole point of a race. Like you say, so sometimes I go to race the other girls, um, but generally I'll do the best that I can on that given day. And I know that in a 10K, if it doesn't feel hard by halfway, you, you need to push a bit harder. If it, a 5K doesn't hurt from the off, you need to go quicker. Um, and it's kind of, it's taken a while and we do sessions to replicate that. And, um, so I wear my watch during sessions, but not during the race. And it's almost this sense of freedom of, you know what, I'm here and, um, I know full well, whatever happens, I will get to the finish line, giving it my all. And however I get there, it doesn't really matter. I just know that as long as I push the whole way and run sensibly, um, it's a learning curve for everyone. Yeah, it, it definitely takes practice of learning mm. what it's supposed to feel like and having that expectation of like, all right, I should feel like you said, as you mentioned, with the 10K, like halfway, like you shouldn't be feeling wonderful or else, yeah. or else you're not doing it right. And obviously there's a yeah. converse to that as well. Now for London this year, this London Marathon 2019, you went yeah. into this race trying to get top two British women. Now was yeah. that, the first, and that's to qualify for the world championships. I guess that yeah. was the reason. So yeah. was that the first time you went into a race where the goal was tied to placement versus time or effort-based? Absolutely. Yeah. So I've never gone into a race to win it or to come top two or anything like that before in my life. And and think going into London, um, I really had two options. It was run your own race uh, and hope that everyone else doesn't um, run a lot, lot quicker and just kind of fingers crossed you came top two in the end or run with the lead British women, know where they are all the time um, so you can kind of see and judge the race as it's going on. The majority of people would choose the latter if you were racing for position. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like I kind of thought this is, I've come here to race. Um, I know that I'm in good shape. Uh, my training's gone really well. Um, I can trust myself to, to run on feel. Um, 
And it was kind of everything was almost in my favor in that respect. Right, um, right. And you can, you, can, you can do a little bit of both too, right? You can run with the yeah. group and then still make decisions in the race. Like, I'm not going to go with that surge. I'm going to hold off. I think they're going to yeah. come back to me. I'm going to run my own race for this mile. Um, mm-hmm. So there is a middle ground. But how mm-hmm. did that affect you in terms of like, you know, and I, part of me already knows the answer to this question, but I think mm-hmm. it's an interesting part to like lay the foundation for later is how did it affect you like right from the start? in London, you know, trying to make sure that you stayed with a certain group of women? Yeah, so it certainly did not work in my favor this time. (laughs) But it's certainly something to learn from the future. Um, So even in the first, so we set off with a pacemaker, uh, which was a pace where I was very comfortable with um, on paper. Um, My training had showed that I was very capable of this pace. Um, It was almost capable to run a negative split from starting at this pace. Um, But it went off a little bit too quickly. Um, and within the first five or 10 K, I think my race was pretty much done. I knew that, um, it, something wasn't right. Something wasn't happening. And, um, the first five K it did, it did feel fast. Um, but with the first five K of London, I don't know if you've done it yourself, but it's downhill. So I kind of presumed that, oh, well, if, if this is fast, the pace will slow down um, because we're just rolling downhill. Um, it's a lot easier um, not to fight the hills if you're trying to just relax down the hills. And um, and then I thought, oh, after 5K, the pace will settle. Uh, we got to 10K. Um, there was no clocks. So obviously, I didn't have a watch. Um, the pacemaker was um, told to, to do a certain pace. And we got to 10K about a minute behind my 10k pb uh when i was looking back at the splits and i thought looking back oh wow no wonder that um it ended up as it did so basically from from 10k um i ran 20 miles on an absolute bed of lactic acid um my legs were like lead um from about halfway and going up some of the inclines through uh, canary wharf i didn't i didn't think i was moving forwards and it was almost, I feel, I think my body was just telling me, stop, please just stop, because this is just not happening. But my brain was telling my body to just basically shut up. We're going to do it regardless. So you're going to have to man up and deal with it now. And going through some of the tunnels, um, I remember mentioning this to someone, uh, don't judge me for this, but I almost wished injury on myself because it was. I've been there. Was, I've oh. been there. I know exactly what you mean. Oh, what, what 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 injuries were you picturing? I've always I've always pictured the stepping broken on, leg. Yeah, I've always, been, I've, I've always imagined like the, the, the twisted the twisted slash broken ankle hobbling to the side and being like, yeah. I gave it my best shot, guys. Yeah. Sorry. Oh dear, what a shame! <laughs> <laughs> I've slipped over and knocked myself out. <laughs> but yeah, going through some of the tunnels, it was dark. I was alone. My brain was just fighting. And I just thought, if I just fell over here and just hid, no one would know. And then, but the immediate second I said that to myself, it was, but you'd know. You'd know deep down that you did not give it your all. You gave in to that voice that you fought for so long not to give in to. You trained so hard. You've trained so many evenings. You've cried after so many sessions. You've beamed after so many good sessions that you don't get this far just to give up now. And I knew at that point the time was gone and things, but I'm, I'm never one not to finish. I will always finish what I start. 
And yeah, it's funny that you say that though, because in those, in the depths of how you are feeling and it's, it's so hard to describe to someone who's never felt something similar. Um, mm. But you know, I'm sure you you believe that the time was gone. In retrospect, mm. we both know that's not true. You you still finished yeah. in two thirty three. So yeah. you, so this this was like the the conundrum of not running with a watch, right? Because you you're you're always running with these these two different things pulling at you. Is am I just running too fast, or yeah. does it just feel like I'm running too fast? Mm. And then you know, the, and then those. That may seem like a semantic difference, but they lead to different actions depending yeah. on depending on how you answer that question. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, looking back now, like after reflecting quite a lot, as you can imagine, after London Marathon, um, I believe um, in my heart of hearts, if I had a watch on, I would have stopped. Oh. Because it, the pace had dropped dramatically and I probably would have thought to myself, um, you know what? you're not you you're not going to get top two you're not going to get a good time that you want to get um but in fact because I didn't know the pace I just thought you might still be moving quite quickly but it feels like you're not yeah so because I could almost trick myself that I was it was oh the feeling is nothing like it I remember getting to um the table at 20 miles the drinks table and my right leg started to buckle and I thought, Ooh, that's, that's not normal. Um, so then obviously ran the last 10 K. I don't think I was, I was actually upright. I think I was more limping along. Um, and then obviously seeing the photos of coming down the mile, um, I was in fact quite, quite limping <laughs> by that point. Um, but, oh, to finish that, it was just, I was very glad it was over. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. So I, I, in the winter, I'd interviewed Haley Sutter, who had yeah. a similar experience at the California International Marathon, where she yeah. fell right before and was able to, again, like in, a, in like this, like these one of these miracle moments, you know, kind of cross the finish line for her. She got there, you know, right on the Olympic trials qualifying number. She got oh. a two forty five zero zero. She'd wasted one more second. Oh. She wouldn't have gotten it. Um, so you again. So you, you, as, 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 we, as I said in the intro, you know, you fell before the finish line. Mm-hmm. Had yeah. you, pr- prior to that point in your life, what was the, what was the, the, the most exertion slash the toughest thing you'd ever done physically up to that point? Oh gosh. Mm. I think for me, because I'd never really experienced any sort of sporting moment, it certainly, it certainly wasn't. Um, anything to do with training or running I think it was um, probably when both my parents were poorly and it was you've got to be strong I was only 15 16 at the time and it was just a fact of don't show them your true emotions because your parents are crumbling and you need to be their rock when then then they're for you and and whenever I do run I run with emotions like that in my heart and I always remember the the Ben Howard song, um, keep your head up, keep your heart strong. And every time I even think it, think it to myself, I always get that feeling in my chest where it's just, you've got to do it because if your parents can overcome something this difficult, you, you'd never give up. And seeing them come out of the other side of it, it's nothing is, um, nothing's over. And it's just, it's just constantly 
trying to reassess where you are and um it's really made me a much stronger person and I believe that when we do go through tough times as a child um it really does change you as an adult and it makes you really accept and appreciate being healthy and being happy and I'm never one to to give up and it certainly changed me yeah and, it, and there's been a lot of research done um, especially in your neck of the woods um, with people who they call it like the near miss yeah the, the, the near miss um, I don't know if it's, it's a thesis or whatever and they talk about how in World War II a lot of the bombing that was going on in Great Britain where there was this cohort of people who were very close to the bombing but weren't mm. personally affected obviously it's like if you die, yeah. if you die, then there's yeah. no room for, for toughness later. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but <laughs> a bit late then. <laughs> yeah, a little bit late. But that if they um, if they were close enough to see it and experience it time after time, but weren't weren't completely damaged by it, that, that all of a sudden these individuals now like lived life with this like this totally different like a paradigm shifting moment. Like their yeah. view on difficult things changed. Their view yeah. on so many things changed. Like they were able to do and, you know, just live in a very, t- a much tougher environment to the point where, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you might know this better than me, that, you know, prior to, the, just prior to the war, the, the British government had built all of these, like, you know, for lack of a better term, like mental facilities out mm-hmm. in the country because they assumed that everyone who was seeing the bombing that they were sure was coming would be so traumatized but that yeah. all these near misses were now living this glorious life of like, I, like, I can't be touched. I can get, I can go through anything mm-hmm. and here I am. Yeah. And it's like this, this, this it's like, again, not exactly what people, it's, it's a little counterintuitive, I guess the best way of saying it. But I guess once you've lived through something like that, it does set you up later. Oh, absolutely. It really does put things into perspective. And I think, like you say, when, like I mentioned earlier, like, have you had a bad day or have you just had a bad 10 minutes that you let rule the rest of your day? No, absolutely. And, uh. and, and, you know, there's two sides of this. And I know that it's been adjudicated like online everywhere and everyone has their own opinions. And it's kind of hard not to see both sides at the same time. And not that one's right or wrong. It's like, it was obviously an unbelievable display of toughness. And that's exactly yeah. where I went first. It was like, oh, my yeah. goodness. I don't think I could push myself to this point. I know for <laughs> a fact that I can't because I've been there and I have not done it. Um, you know, overcoming that central governor that Tim Noakes uh, so popularized. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, obviously, there's the medical issue of it. Like, yeah. like you're a medical professional. You know, like, the dangers associated with you know, mm-hmm. putting yourself in that situation. So how have you come to terms with both sides of this? Yeah, so I think um, what's really interesting is my coach is actually doing a PhD at the moment on um, reducing um, fatigue at the latter stages of the marathon, um, and also focusing on um, mental fatigue and in endurance runners. Um, Sounds so like you guys are a perfect match. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Definitely meant to be. Um, and he almost, he said to me straight after, he said, thank you for proving my PhD. And I just thought, oh, well, obviously that was why I did it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was just a matter of, I, I just almost want to prove that when people say that there is a wall you can hit, um, it is possible to override it. And if you want something so badly, you will do it. Like there is no limitation. And as Elliot Kipchoge would say, like no human is limited. And I think I was so far past being almost 
physically able to go forward it was just a matter of fight or flight and I I just didn't didn't want to give up and it was just so happens that my body was kind of telling me okay that's enough now calm down two meters before the finish line but I also then you can reflect and say well you know what I'm really lucky the fact that it wasn't 200 meters before the finish line because I wouldn't have got there um and it certainly wouldn't have been uh, a pb anyway because I probably would have crawled from 200 meters but it was just the I felt lucky to be able to be within reach and touching distance almost of the finish line when in fact the last 10 miles where the damage was done yeah yeah exactly so you've gone through a lot you've achieved a lot already you went into this race yeah. with big goals top two yeah. world championship qualifier what are some of the goals you're looking at now for the rest of 2019 uh, so I'm going to focus on um, building some more strength and general speed. So I kind of want to get some pure speed into my legs as because I've gone straight up to the marathon. Generally, a lot of athletes um, move their way up the distances. But um, what I'm trying to do is um, almost, well, I say a lot of people have said it's a lot harder um, to move from the higher distances down to the shorter distances because your brain almost doesn't start at that pace. It's really, really difficult to and of kind of engage and be switched on from the off. Whereas with the marathon, you kind of have halfway to kind of think about it. Um, so me doing shorter distances, five and 10 Ks, um, even doing a 1500 meter um, next week. Oh, hey, hey. Um, I know that sounds absolutely the most painful experience of my life. Well, after London. I don't know. Um, that, that's a, <laughs> it's a high bar to clear for you, Haley. <laughs> Very true. Um, but yeah, no. So now the focus is on to get... Um, a lot faster general speed, uh, but then with the autumn, autumn marathon again, uh, where I'll be going over to Frankfurt to represent England. So what a great opportunity. Oh, that is so exciting. Haley, thank you for taking time out of your, as we, as we already know, extremely <laughs> busy day to record thank this you. episode. This has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. No, thank you. It's been my absolute pleasure too. So thank God it's Friday. Woohoo! There you go. All right. Have a good one. <laughs> thank you. So with regards to uh, strength training, I tend to do about an hour once a week, uh, which can be very heavy lifting uh, mixed with plyometric training, mixed with some core work, because I think it's a really good way to prevent injury. And when I'm not peak marathon training, it's a really good opportunity to build some core strength um, and obviously build your core as well. Um, but to kind of make sure that when going into the next marathon cycle, I'm as strong as I can be. Um, to help ensure that I can handle the training as the mileage will go up quite a lot. Um, so now is the time to just kind of make sure that anything that we're doing is still running focused, but it also can afford to be a little bit heavier at this time. And we can also make sure that it fits quite well within the plan. So I wouldn't do too much heavy lifting the day before a really hard uh, track session. And same, I wouldn't do it straight after or the day after. Um, so it's quite hard to kind of make sure that everything works together. So we tend to do, say, the hard sessions on, the hardest session of the week on a Tuesday. Um, and then we'll do um, a medium strength sort of session uh, on a Thursday after, after a speed work session, but it won't be as hard as the Tuesday. And then we'll do the other, the harder session on a Saturday. Um, running wise but then we'll also try and fit in um, some body weight conditioning after the harder session on a Saturday um, so we'll do 
tend to do one heavyweight session um, on a Thursday and then another body weight sort of conditioning uh, activation session on a Saturday after the run. Sometimes um, on a Thursday we'd swap the runs around and just do an easy run um, just to wake up the legs before the gym session um, or we'll just do a run, shakeout run after the gym. So we're quite flexible, I think, which what you need to be when you're working full time and trying to fit in two runs a day plus two good gym sessions a week. Um, but there's no pressure and it's all about enjoyment. And me, my coach and my strength and conditioning coach, Reese, we have a great time. And um, it's all about making sure that it's all still fun and it doesn't feel like a strain or because I really look forward to going to the gym as well as um, as all my running. So it's just quite good. Um, I do tend to, when I'm at home as well, I have a balanced ball. So um, I make sure that I can strengthen my ankles and I use resistance bands just to kind of tick things over whilst I'm in, in the house uh, watching television. And I generally just end up lying on the floor because I'm quite tired. But um, yeah, it's all about making sure that everything's strong to prevent injuries when you're going into your next marathon cycle. So with the strength training, we tend to do three rounds of three exercises, which will one be uh, heavy weights that will go straight into plyometric training and then do a core exercise as well, just to keep making sure that we're using the whole body. Um, generally, uh, we focus on some of our weaknesses. So generally, I find my hamstrings and my glutes are fairly weak. So we do quite a lot of glute bridges. Um, to help build those and I've really seen the difference as they used to be the first parts of my legs to tire during a run now I find that um, they kind of don't really bother me too much so I think it's made a huge difference and with plyometric training um, so jumping uh, box jumps um, trying to basically maintain speed and reduce contact time with the ground um, to help improve my general speed cadence and overall power so I tend to um, just kind of do what my strength and conditioning coach uh, tells me. But um, since I'm very fortunate to have him um, to kind of dictate the, the gym class sessions. Um, but I do really enjoy it. And um, it's quite nice to feel strong um, even when you do feel quite tired and um, feel done with the day, really. But no, I really do enjoy that. Thank you again, Haley, for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast. Also, thank you for sending that additional audio clip about strength training. It is greatly appreciated. Also, thank you to Mercury Mile, the presenting sponsor here at the Rambling Runner podcast. If you love the show, go check them out. Use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 to save 10 bucks. Believe me, you will not regret it. Thank you so much for everybody who listens to the show and has good things to say to me on social media. Also, for all the suggestions that you provide, not only on social media, rambling underscore runner on both Twitter and on Instagram, but also for the feedback I get that you send me to my Gmail account, which is ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.